Hello, and welcome to Dairy Pod. I'm John Penry from Dairy Australia. An increasing number of farmers are strategically using sex semen to increase their replacement rates and reduce the number of bobby calves or male calves produced on their farms. The advantage of using sex semen is that around 90% of calves conceived are female. Farmers will be pleased to hear that there have been considerable advances in the technology over recent years, which have led to improved conception rates. In this podcast, West Vic Dairy Regional Extension Officer Debbie Twiss caught up with Warrnambool-based vet Dr John Kelly to discuss sex semen. John is one of the most experienced veterinarians in Australia in regard to the use of synchrony and fixed-time artificial insemination programs in dairy herds. He was also a pioneer in the use of sex semen in heifers in his clients' herds more than 10 years ago. In this podcast, John and Debbie discuss how modern sexed semen performs relative to conventional semen, the considerations you need to take on board when preparing to use sex semen, when might sex semen be most appropriate to use, and how you might go about getting started in your herd. Welcome, John, and thank you for taking the time to share your knowledge and experiences with the Dairy Podcast today. Thank you very much, Deb. Um, it's really kind of you to invite me on and uh, and talk about yeah, sex semen. So, yeah, thank you very much. All right, John, well, we'll get right into it and start off with about we're hearing more about how the performance of sex semen compared to conventional semen has been changing over the years. The technology to sort sex semen has improved over the last decade with reports of sex semen and being now 90% as effective as conventional semen. What does that really mean when AI companies are saying as effective as conventional semen? In your experience, what's a realistic expectation for sex semen performance now and how would you measure effectiveness in terms of reproductive performance? So <clears throat> you're right, Deb. There's a lot of a uh, lot of things said about sex semen and what's fact and what's reality are usually two very different things, depending on if you're trying to sell it or you're trying to measure performance on the farm. Um, what I would say is that <clears throat> sex semen has been around for a long time now. Now, when you asked me to, to take part in this podcast. I actually went back and reviewed some old notes uh, that I'd taken when I was preg testing heifers back in 2007. That was my first experience with, with one of my farmer clients using sex semen on their farm. And that was in a mob of heifers. Uh, so that's, you know, 14 or 15 years ago that we were actually using it in Australia on our, on our farms. And a lot's changed since then, a lot. So back in the day, it was called Sext uh, XY, and it was only produced by ST, Sexing Technologies. Now there is an alternate, um, ABS make a, make a sex semen product as well. Um, but particularly the ST product, it's changed a lot in, in that period of time. So they, uh, they, they certainly recognised that the fertility of sex semen was poorer compared to conventional semen. And just from the outset, it's probably worthwhile defining conventional semen, and that means simply unsorted. So it's got male and female sperm in it. So it's the traditional semen that you would use on farm. And so do so you yeah, see it? Sorry? 
So, uh, do ST and ABS, do they sort the same way? No. <clears throat> so S ST and ABS use different technology to produce uh, sex semen uh, in a straw. So, no, it is, it is different technology. Both, both products realised early on that there is issues with uh, the fertility, the underlying fertility of the sex semen that produce, and it's not as good as conventional semen. So a lot, a lot of work has gone into uh, improving how they sort, the mediums that they sort into, the delivery uh, uh, mechanisms, all of that sort of thing uh, has gone on behind the scenes. And the product that we deal with now is a lot different to that initial XY semen that we were using, you know, back in the late 2000s. So almost as a standard now, most sex semen is going to be uh, either 2 million or 4 million sex cells in the straw and most likely 4 million these days. And the other <clears throat> certainly uh, option we've got in Australia and particularly in the Western District, but, but not limited to the Western District, is fresh sex semen. Uh, and I'll go into fresh sex semen in a little bit more detail later on, but there's certainly been uh, a lot of focus put on fresh sex semen by ST, uh, particularly in the last two years. Uh, and that's been driven by Australians and by us in the Western District, I would say, predominantly. And, and the reality is it's getting very good results almost comparable to conventional frozen semen. And ST have uh, recognised that and they've uh, uh, listened to the feedback. And it would be fair to say uh, that their focus uh, hasn't gone away from a frozen product, but it's certainly recognising that fresh is, uh, is, is allowing more farmers to get as good a result as conventional uh, semen or very close to it in, in their cows. So they're putting more emphasis on, uh, on producing fresh and the whole process of uh, sorting it, packaging it, delivering it on farm fresh in the best possible way they can. And one example I would give is that Originally, the fresh semen was uh, sent out to farm in a styrofoam box, in a, in a temperature-controlled styrofoam box. Uh, they are worked on uh, a product called an Andregard, which is uh, a box, but it's completely different technology and allows that semen to, to stay on farm at 17 degrees uh, a lot more accurately and a lot more longer than what it did traditionally. So that's, that's a really good you know, improvement. So are you but, saying that fresh semen is likely to give better performance than the frozen sex semen? Is that yeah, what? it does, Deb. So I'll, I'll get back to your original question now, which is saying, well, how does it actually compare to, uh, to, to, to normal, normal results and normal fertility? Uh, we measure that by conception rates. And so a conception rate is the number of inseminations uh, the number of pregnancies achieved divided by the number of inseminations. So, for example, if 100 cows are inseminated and we get 50 of them in calf to, the, to those 100 inseminations, then the conception rate is 50%. So frozen sex semen, 
and it doesn't matter if it's uh, in a high fertility herd, a low fertility herd, uh, you know, or your average herd, uh, it will produce a lower result than conve frozen conventional semen and will produce a lower result than fresh sex semen. And so for some real numbers, uh, I would say as a generalisation, uh, fresh gives you about 90 to 95% comparison to frozen conventional semen and frozen sexed about 80 to 90% compared to um, frozen conventional semen. So what that means is that if you can achieve 50% conception rate to frozen conventional semen in a cow so we can get half of them in calf for every every time we inseminate with fresh sex you'll get roughly 45 to 50 percent conception rate and with frozen sex about 40 percent so this is in cows i'm talking about and this is the average cow herd so that would be your medium frame frame holstein cow giving 550 kilos of milk sold a year in heifers, the numbers jump up a little bit. So frozen conventional, we would average 60%. With fresh sexed, it's probably 55 to 60. And frozen sexed, about 45 to 50. So in real terms, in heifers, it's probably 10% less uh, comparing frozen conventional to frozen sexed. And in cows, Equally, it would be 10 to 15% less in real numbers compared to frozen conventional, compared to frozen sexed. Thanks, John. So we have to pay out a little more to get, but then we know we're getting uh, replacement heifers when we so do. That, that's where the, the, the sexing technology has improved the purity of the, um, of the, of the product they're producing. And now uh, the... The, the products being um, advertised as being 95 to 97% purity uh, for the sex that you desire, which in our case is most often heifers, females. So that's, that's increased a lot. It used to be about 90, uh, but they've gotten better at putting all female sperm in the straw. And, and that's what plays out in the real world too. I, I think that is a real number. So basically for every 100 and sims with sex straws, we're getting 95 females or five that we didn't expect. Yeah, correct. If, if all those 100 were to get in calf. <laughs> Lovely. Well, we, we can, but hope. Yeah. Um, and also just I wanted to go back. You mentioned now the um, sex semen has 4 million in it. It's a bit, sounds a bit like cell phones where we've gone from 4G to 5G. What were we dealing with originally when we think back 13 years ago? What was the number of sex uh, of sperm yeah. in the sex straw. Yeah, so the original uh, sex semen actually came out at 1 million uh, and then it right. progressed to 2 million and that's in a frozen straw. So when you thaw out a frozen straw, uh, just through the act of thawing, uh, sorry, freezing it initially, then thawing it back out, we're going to lose, lose sperm cells. And so 2 million may have been put in the, uh, in the straw, but there was probably only half a million or a million live sperm actually there available. Uh, and so by increasing the dose, uh, we are increasing the, the fertility of the, of the uh, 
of the sperm in the in the straw. Size does matter with sperm up to a point. So that's where normal conventional uh, frozen semen has probably got between 10 and 20 million uh, sperm in, in the straw. Quite a, quite a difference still even now. You investigated the use of sex semen in reproductive research trials um, over this time of the 13 years. What were the key findings from your research um, that would inform the ways we now prepare dairy cattle for sex semen mating? So what's, what's nice about all of uh, my findings, Deb, is my recommendations are equally applicable for a low fertility herd. And so by a low fertility herd, that could be, uh, you know, a 700 kilo milk solid, big milking Holstein herd, or it could be, you know, that it's a crossbred herd that's got a really extended calving period. So we don't, we shouldn't pigeonhole types of cows uh, just by looking at them. But equally, the recommendations that, that I've come up with and that I find in practice when I'm preg testing is that the same rules apply for low fertility herds as high fertility herds. And so we will break it down into the heifers first and then into the milkers. So for heifers, in every bit of trial work I've ever been able to do, where we have recorded absolutely everything we can about a heifer, you know, including their age at the time of joining, uh, who they got joined to, whether they were in a synchrony program, whether they weren't in a synchrony program, everything we could possibly ever record, the one difference that stood out every time and has made a significance has been how big those heifers are, how big they are at the time you join them. <clears throat> and the magic number is, is we're trying to achieve 55% of the mature body weight of that heifer at joining. And that's a really critical number to understand uh, because it's not an average of the herd uh, of the heifer group. That's a minimum weight. So the average of this uh, heifer group will be higher than what that 55% minimum uh, mature body weight is. So an example would be a 600 kilo mature body weight uh, herd, <clears throat> excuse me, their target weight for the heifers is going to be about 330 kilos of drawing, and that's a minimum. And why that weight is important is because weight in cattle and, you know, in heifers is directly correlated with sexual maturity, not puberty. So puberty and sexual maturity are two very different things. So sexual maturity tells me that a heifer's probably had two or three or maybe even four cycles prior to being joined, and they're a lot more fertile than an animal that's just reached puberty for the first time. And that's why the bar's set so high and set it at a minimum. But in saying it's set high, uh, it's, it's an achievable weight to, to, uh, to get to in your heifer group. Um, yeah, my clients that are doing uh, the job well regularly have 95% of their heifers, their heifer group for joining over that target weight. Um, and there's actually a really good uh, web uh, calculator on the Dairy Australia website called Heifers on Target. And if you go and have a look at that calculator, 
it asks you the numbers that you're trying to achieve on your farm. So it says, when are you going to join? How big are your cows? And, uh, you know, the dates that you're trying to line up to. And it'll tell you, it'll show you how to plan for that, that critical day in their career, which is joining. The, the issue is, is that we can't change anything at, 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 at the date of joining. So we need to plan leading up to joining. So it's, it's really that, you know, from weaning the calf to joining, uh, which is, you know, from three months of old age to, you know, 13 to 15 months of age, we've got 12 months there to get that heifer up to her, um, up to that critical weight. So that, so that's really the key with heifers is obviously you've got to do everything else right. You know, if you're doing a program, you need to, you know, inject at the right time and you need to tee up the right techs and have you got the right facilities, all of those really basic stuff. And the other one is is um, have a heifer free of reproductive disease. And uh, the number one, uh, you know, disease I'm thinking about there is BVD. Uh, and if you don't know about BVD, talk to your, talk to your local vet or, uh, or your advisor about BVD because BVD does matter. Uh, and we should be doing something about it. And your heifers is the right time to start thinking about it. So when we have mobs of heifers joined at that critical target weight and above, regularly we get 60% conception rate with frozen sex semen. Regularly you'll get 60% uh, conception rate with fresh sex semen. And... Uh, in the first six weeks of joining, so, uh, you know, the heifers will have an opportunity to return uh, twice. 90% uh, of the heifers are pregnant uh, within the first six to seven weeks of joining. So that offers real power um, for altering your, your herd calving pattern uh, in, in a positive way. Um, with with your heifers coming in. So, for example, if you're going to join, uh, you know, try to bring 100 heifers into the herd, uh, you, you will reliably get, you know, on average, 60% of them in calf to, uh, to sex semen and 90% of them overall will be in calf within seven weeks. Uh, so that's a really powerful thing from a heifer's born point of view as well because, you know, on the first week of your herd's calving, you can have... 55, 60, you know, live heifers there on the ground in the first week ready to go, and they're all from your heifers. You know, in theory, your highest genetic merit animals on the farm. So is that something you have to have a discussion with when you're working with your farm businesses, John, is thinking about the impact that putting a sex semen program in place for the heifers is going to have on their capacity to manage calves all dropping on the ground and valuable calves too, that they all want to keep them? Absolutely, Deb. You've nailed it. Particularly if they do a synchrony program in the milkers, they can have an awful lot of calves born in that first week, an awful lot of calves born, which a lot of farmers like because they've got capacity at the start of calving to cope with it. It's as calving progresses that they start running out of space usually. Uh, and that's what I've seen uh you know use of sex semen change on farm is that the one thing they need to recognize is one there's a lot more to rear at the beginning of calving uh if they traditionally uh didn't rear all their calves you know the, the bull calves weren't mm. rare 
and at the back end of carving as they simply run out of space, you know, uh, that they need to put in more carving facilities. Or some people are changing their carving pattern slightly. So they are carving a little bit earlier in the season, uh, in, in the early autumn. And that's to take advantage of the good weather and to be able to get calves out of sheds and into paddocks uh, probably a little bit norm, earlier than they normally would be, but it's still, um, you know, able to be done safely and, and effectively, you know, when the weather's dry, when, when, when the weather's a bit warmer. Yeah, that's a really so important point. How are people planning for this extra amount of heifers? Are they um, realising that when they do the preg testing with you? Or is it even before you get to preg testing, sitting down and going, okay, here's my performance that I've had prior to putting this program in and having a careful, considered conversation with you about what's the likely impact and, and planning from that point forward? Uh, no, that would be great, Deb, but <laughs> no. <laughs> Look, the vast majority of people have, uh, I would say, you know, I've heard about it being used and want to give it a go. Uh, and that and that's about it. And it's usually at that day of preg test uh, that we have the chat about, you know, what did you do this year with the heifers particularly, uh, and um, and what have you used? And that's usually when I find out that someone's used sex for the first time. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different for the guys that are in their second and third and you know subsequent years. Uh, then. When you know that they're interested in it and have taken that first step of, you know, just buying the semen, which is a little bit more expensive than normal semen, they're engaged uh, and they've already got a result back, you know, from that first year and you go, righto, this is what you did this year, but, gee, next year, if we want to do it better, this is what I'd be looking at doing. So, yeah, I, look, I would say the vast majority at the moment, no, there's not that much planning going into it. <laughs> a bit of a jump for the first year and then... yeah. Bit more proactive about yeah correct yeah, going here yeah so what are the things aside from okay I'm going to have more heifers on the ground but when when you're coming up to the second year what are the things you stick farmers through in preparing um, for that drop that calf drop uh, so it's looking at numbers so definitely at the end of the cow preg test as well we'll sit down and we'll actually do the numbers of numbers of what's going to calve and when they're going to carve. That's the first, uh, that's the first alert. And that, as you know, that happens six months before any calves hit the ground. And uh, so that starts to give them time to wake up and say, oh, gee, you know, this is, this wave is coming and we need to start doing something about it. Uh, the second thing that probably happens is they look at infrastructure on the farm and, and, uh, and workers, you know, how are we going to cope with it and can we do it? And thirdly, it's probably looking at market opportunities. They probably start thinking at that point, well, okay, if I, I think I need to rear 100 heifers a year, I'm going to have 100 heifers uh, born out of my heifer group and my, my milking cow group. And it usually happens in the first month of joining. You can, you can breed your total replacements for the year plus a few extras in that first month. So what are we going to do with the heifer calves particularly that are born uh, after that first month of month of joining? And they might start planning, uh, well, look, actually, we're going to sell them as four-day-old calves because this year we can't handle, uh, we can't actually handle rearing them. 
um, you know, the, the best outcome probably is is they are able to rear them and at least take them through to that 200 kilos and start targeting the export market. Um, in, in subsequent years, people do start tailoring what they do with joining. So there is a little bit more of uh, bull beef used at the back end of joining. Uh, and so there is more of a market for a four-day-old calf or seven-day-old calf there where the calf rearing is not as not as involved as taking a calf through to weaning. It's of keen interest to people to understand ways that we can keep on being profitable in dairy and moving away from the bobby calf chain as well or having diversity. We'll always need a bobby calf chain, but it's not always the most profitable returning back to the farm. And if we're investing in sex semen, working out what I want to hold on farm and what I want to send away from farm is really important. Are you seeing when people get invested in sex semen, they start looking at other technologies such as the genomics as well? Absolutely, Deb. Absolutely. And that's through the sheer volume of heifer calves that they're that they're producing on farm, is that they, you know, they have way more than they want uh, to bring into the herd. And so how do you decide who stays and who goes? Uh, and so one of the decisions that is most obvious is the later the later heifers go. You know they're they're the hardest ones to, and the most expensive heifers to bring up to that critical mating weight at joining and to to actually enter back in the herd. So the easy answer is to take out the back end. Uh, but there's going to be a middle group, uh, and and that middle group to me are ideal for genomics. Uh, I can't we, we it's a it's a really powerful tool uh, to decide who stays and who goes. Uh, and that can be done, you know, from birth onwards, basically. Uh, so it's a really powerful tool to do it. Deb, I, I wondered if I could just go back to, um, we're talking about preparation of animals for sex, and I've, I've skipped over the cows, the, the milking herd. Yes, we probably <laughs> should consider the cows as we've put a lot of impact into the heifers. We know they're the future, but the cows are the ones who, are long, who have to have the longevity and stay in the herd. So, yes, John, could you please take us through? Yeah, and, and look at... That the cows are, were a little bit, have been a little bit forgotten in the past from for putting sex semen into, and I think that was based on the original uh, sex semen product, where the fertility in a cow was a lot lower uh, compared to conventional semen, and so uh, people that used it, you know, ten or fifteen years ago certainly got uh, bitten by it, I would say, uh, and it didn't work, and so. And certainly one of my recommendations for, for, for my guys were, look, if you're going to try it for the first time, try it in your heifers. And I'm happy to be there on the day with a set of scales and we'll draft them up into big or, big or small because we're trying to skew the result for you to have a good, a good outcome from the start. But certainly with the uh, improvements with the sex semen product, uh, using sex semen in your milkers is now an absolutely viable option. Uh, but the caveat for that is it's not a carte blanche uh, recommendations. I think you need to cherry pick cows to get the most out of it. And you need to use sex semen in a really uh, controlled fashion uh, in the herd. So when I'm talking about selecting cows, uh, you know, milking cows for, um, for, 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 for sex semen in the subsequent year, the best tool that you can use for that is the previous year's reproductive performance. And that tells you what, uh, what 
cows getting calf best in your own herd not not my average not the dairy's average uh what what cows are actually performing in your herd but i would say overall there's only three things that really matter in a in a milking herd to to the uh, affecting fertility and that's the uh the cow's age so how many lactation she's had how many days in milk she is leading up to up to that joining uh, event and her body condition score, you know, how skinny she is. So in my average herd, and these are guys that are growing out their heifers as well and, and, and doing a good job, the most fertile animals in their milking herd are the first carvers. And that surprises a lot of people. But I think that's from a background of having back in the day where heifers weren't particularly looked after. And certainly heifers uh, that weren't looked after and hadn't grown out properly struggled to hit when once they hit the herd. They didn't, they were still trying to grow. But now, if we introduce heifers into these herds that are well grown and have done the right, uh, done all the right things, they are the most fertile animals in your herd. So the three things I look for uh, in, in, in my herds, if I'm going to say, I want you to cherry pick some cows, you know, the most fertile cows in your herd, are the first, second, third and fourth carvers. I think it doesn't matter if it's, you're in a low fertility herd or a high fertility herd. Once you get to fourth carver and beyond, the underlying fertility of those animals drops off. It, it, it really does drop off. So your highest fertility animals are first, second, third, fourth carvers. And usually it's animals carved at least 40 to 50 days prior to joining. Usually it's those animals. Occasionally, the, uh, in, I'll have some herds where that number is a little bit high. You know, they've got to be 60 days prior, but usually it's about that 40 to 50 days. And as far as body condition score, I don't, uh, I don't recommend my clients go out and body condition score cows and base uh, their semen selection on the body condition score, I leave that up to whether a cow comes on heat or not. Because the reality is, as we know, that non-cycling cows are the skinny cows in the herd. They're going to weed themselves out by not uh, not showing a heat. So whether that be synchrony or, or a natural heat program, uh, the, the most fertile animals are weed, weeded out by the ones that come on heat. So if you tick those other two boxes, you know, the how many, how old she is and how many days in milk and does she come on heat, you can pull out a really nice subset of cows that are the most fertile in your herd and they're the ones that I would target sex semen for in your herd. The decision you then need to make is uh, how many doses am I going to use and how long am I going to use it for? And I absolutely think that you should only use sex semen at the moment in your first round of AI and if using synchrony, maybe the second round of AI, but then stop. And the reason is, is that uh, even if it's fresh sex semen, its fertility is not as good as conventional fro frozen semen. So even if it is fresh, you're not going to get as many cows in calf to the sext. And if you keep using sex semen in later, later joinings, so out beyond the fourth week of, of your AI period, the number of cows that you're getting in calf decreases every time uh, that you're using sex semen. 
And so the overall number of pregnancies you achieve will be a little bit lower this year uh, than what it would normally be. And so that's a small effect. But the big effect is what I call this hangover effect because what happens is, is those cows are getting in calf later this year. And so it affects how well they're going to get in calf next year. So what it can do is actually push your herd back into a later, later calving pattern, which affects your subsequent year's fertility. So it's a really important thing, I think, at the moment, if you're trying to maintain a calving pattern, is that you might only use sex semen in the first round of joining. So let's pretend you pull out 100 cows that you think are most eligible for using sexton in your herd this year. Uh, you, you know your herd, how many uh, non-cycling cows you normally get. Let's pretend that's 25%. Then you'd say there's probably 75 cows there that are eligible for sext. Well, for my first year, giving it a try on the milkers, I might only buy 50 doses. Yeah, be, be conservative. I think it is worthwhile being conservative. Uh, get the results back from that initial joining and then you go forward and you make a plan for next year and you might decide, well, look, it actually worked really well. Um, I'm more confident predicting my numbers. I'm going to buy 100 doses next year. Uh, so, so, yeah, it is... It is a stepped approach, I reckon, in the milkers, uh, but you definitely need to cherry pick cows. I, I certainly have seen some disasters where people have either used uh, fixed time AI uh, in a herd with sex semen, or indeed they've um, continued on uh, beyond that first, you know, four or five weeks of AI through the whole joining period using sex. And uh, yeah, they've ended up with less cows and calf and issues issues for next year. So it really does seem, from what I'm hearing from you, John, is sex semen is something for up the front end. Definitely be very, very careful not to let it drag out because, as you say, fertility is dependent on having animals, heifers and cows, reaching certain weights at, 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 on a date. It's not good enough to let them just keep running beyond that date. We exactly, Deb. It doesn't matter if you're a calf. seasonal calving herd or a split calving herd, dates dates still matter. And, and we're trying to maintain those cows in their calving pattern. And, uh, you know, look, the number one criteria is, is how long a cow's been calved prior to joining as to how well she's going to get in calf that year. You know, it, it is the number one number one factor. So thanks, John. We've learned some things about what to look for, how to pick the cows that might be best suited to sex semen, how to select our heifers. From a whole farm point of view, if I'm a farmer just listening to this now and thinking, should I put my hat in the ring and, and try this sex semen, what are the things that you've had conversations with, with farmers who are trying it for the first time to either say, yes, go ahead and try it, or no, this isn't a tool that's going to suit your herd? How do yeah, I, do I I think there's two, two conversations I, I, I have with them. Uh, one is about their herd age structure. And so herd age structure has got a lot to do with the percentage of heifers that you're able to successfully bring into that herd and then how well those animals stay in your herd. So... An old herd uh, 
reproductively doesn't get in calf as well as a young herd. But equally, an old herd has a lot more calving issues and a lot more health issues and mastitis issues. There are a lot of really good reasons to have a young age herd structure of your herd. And I'm defining young as being uh, the percentage of your herd that's fourth carver and younger. So my herds that have gone down this path of, of using targeted sex and uh, particularly growing out their heifers well and introducing, uh, you know, a lot of heifers into their herds have now got to the point where, you know, the rough numbers are they are introducing 25% heifer replacements into their herd every year. And from an age structure point of view, 90% of the cows are less than a fourth carver or less. And those, and those herds are performing reproductively better than they have ever before without changing the style of cow that they're milking and without compromising milk flow. And that's the big, big take-home message out of all of this for me is I do hear a lot of people saying uh, that, you know, lots of heifers in a herd, you're going to compromise milk and milk solids in that herd. And that's not what, what I see and that's not what we see in these herds where they have a young age structure, sure, you take a little bit of a hit in the first carvers, but regularly we have uh, herds with uh, first carvers achieving 90% of the milk solids of a, of a mature cow. And obviously the second, third and fourth carvers, that's when they start to hit their straps. You know, that's when they really get going. So that's the first thing I would do is I would look at their herd age structure, but particularly look at the percentage of heifers that are coming into that herd. And the first number, I, real number I look at is, is in the milking herd after 10 weeks of joining is how many empty cows have you got in your herd after 10 weeks? And if that number's 30%, then I think you need to bring in 30% heifers into your herd. And that's trying to re uh, yeah, realign, I suppose is a better word, this herd age structure, that you need more heifers in your herd. We've got to, we've got to try to get a little bit more younger animals in to, to, get, the, uh, to get, get the ball rolling. So that, that's the no, uh, number one thing. And actually, that's the other thing I should define properly too, is uh, it's not rare 30% replacements it's introduced 30% replacements into your herd. And so I'll use my, my, my 100 heifer number again, is that that might actually mean you've got to uh, rear and raise and join and preg test 110 heifers. And so when we do that, you know, 13-week preg test and 90% of them are in calf because you've done all the right things, <laughs> um, you, you're going to have 100 heifers in calf that will carve down in the first seven weeks of your joining. That, that's gold. You've just set up those heifers for the rest of their career in your herd. So the second conversation we have is getting back to that uh, milk supply and milk flow thing. And it's about having the conversation that your, your farm can change from being a predominantly, uh, being a dairy farmer producing milk to be, 
to being a dairy farmer producing milk and having stock sales that, that significantly contribute to your gross revenue on the farm. So traditionally, we would have said that uh, on a dairy farm, 90% of your, your income comes from milk and 10% from stock sales. So farms that have gone down this path and have got either excess black and white heifers for sale or, um, you know, there might be Angus cross heifers uh, or steers, you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Because there's so many animals coming into the system, you've got a lot more options for culling. Uh, and so you might actually cull animals that are in calf, but they're late for your herd. Or you might actually cull that cow that had one uh, instance of mastitis. Uh, and so your, your culling options increase in the, in the adult herd, um, as well as those uh, calf and heifer stock sales. So regularly, uh, we see farms going up to 25% of their income based on stock sales. And so again, yeah, you know, back to these, back to the numbers. Uh, you know, if you can produce a million dollars worth of milk a year, and you were, and you did have a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock sales, without compromising your milk milk flow or milk supply, that's the beauty of this. It, it does not change how many cows you milk and how you milk them at all. Uh, you, you can increase your stock sales to two hundred and fifty grand. And they, they're real numbers that are happening on farms now. Uh, so it's a really powerful tool for, for farmers to diversify their income. It's not, it might not seem so important now when we're getting $7 plus milk solids for, for, our, for our mill, but gee, it made a difference when we were getting $5 and $5.50. Yeah. It can certainly help average out is that are less than average when it comes to the milk price. Absolutely, it's about it's about diversifying your farm, going away from being a predominantly uh, producer of milk to being a producer of milk and meat. So, what I'm hearing here from the six seven the farmers you've worked with is those that have been improving an age structure in their herd to increase fertility, rather than having aged cows whilst they've got the longevity unable to keep breeding year on year. So we lose milk by having them have long lactations and waiting for them to get back in calf. And then there are those who are looking to try and even out um, their revenue on farm year on year um, occurring. And that seems to be how this technology is being used by your farmers. I, I, I agree. I agree. And it depends where you are on the cycle as to, as to what your focus is. And so, uh, you know, if you're in a herd uh, building phase uh, or, you, you know, you've managed to buy a little bit of land next door and you're able to milk off it now, well, you flick the switch to keeping a few more of those heifer calves. Uh, and so, the, the, you know, from a replacement point of view and from a biosecurity point of view, it's much better to rear your own heifers and introduce your own animals into your herd to grow that herd uh, than, than to go and buy some replacements. So, so it gives you, you know, an option to go in that direction. If you're, uh, if you're at the point where your herd's stable, then you might tinker with, uh, you know, targeting the export heifer job. You know, you see there's there's money to be made there. If you are trying to diversify more and don't think uh, export heifers are reliable, then you might use 
uh, or bull beef at the back end of your joining because you know that you can lock in your heifer replacements uh, and the numbers uh, from, from the first month of joining. You know that you can lock that in already. Uh, so you might go, right, oh, I'm going to use Angus for the for the remaining part of my joining this year. So it, it allows uh, the farmers to, to, to target an area that they, that they want to, uh, that depending on the stage of the farm, you know, you know the growth. Um, I, I've certainly had uh, one farmer recently, uh, well, this year, who's, who's selling his herd, uh, and he decided last year that he was going to join everything to sex to, you know, in the hope that the dairy export heifer job is maintained and he's going to go out with a bang. Um, I'd like to say thank you very much, John, for taking the time to walk us through the use of sex seam and how it's changed over the years, what you've seen and the ways people are using it now as a tool for herd improvement and for lifestyle improvement and hopefully revenue streams for dairy farms that have been perhaps lacking up until now. I'm seeing it. Uh, yeah, you're very welcome, Deb. It's, um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Many thanks to John and Debbie for that great discussion. If you want to know more about sex semen, check out the bull selection pages on our website, dairyaustralia.com.au. We hope that you've enjoyed this podcast, and remember, there's plenty more where this one came from in the archives of DairyPod. Look out for them wherever you find your podcasts. And please don't forget to subscribe to the DairyPod on your favourite podcasting platform. If you have any questions or ideas for future podcasts, get in touch with us by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks a lot for listening and bye for now.